0: I've been doing a series, on, I call it the Alphabet Series. We've done A, B, C, and D. Uh, art, Bible, culture, and D is what do you think? What, what should be D? Probably the first word that came to my mind, and that is doctrine in the Scripture. Doctrine. And as we think about doctrine... I wonder how you would define that if somebody said, What is doctrine? Uh, Would it be fair to say that in our lifetime, the word doctrine has gone from kind of a good connotation down to almost a negative connotation? To where sometimes when you speak of doctrine to people, maybe you'd use a fancier word like theology. Uh, people kind of turn you off, and and it's kind of like, uh, well, that's your preference, that's your bias, you know, that's something you want to push on me, you know, don't push your values or your doctrines on me. But if we stop and think about that a little bit, of of course, the fact is everyone in this world has a doctrine. Everyone in this world lives by something. Remember last week when we were defining culture, We said a good definition of culture is the incarnation of your religion. You act out whatever you believe. If you're a liar, you somehow have justified lying in your mind. There's some reason why you need to do it. Uh, If you're a drug addict, somehow you've justified in your mind why you need these drugs. And everything that we believe, there's some reason for it, even if it's wrong uh, because of the kind of people we are. So the question is, what is that behind our doctrine that makes our doctrine right or makes our doctrine wrong? I think I've told you this story before. I know I have about how C.S. Lewis began his argument before God in his book, Mere Christianity, because he was an atheist and he ran from God for years and then finally came to believe in God. And uh, he starts his story by a man getting on the bus, remember, and he was going to sit down in a seat, and somebody rushed right in behind him and sat down in his seat, and the man turned around in the bus and said, hey, that was my seat. In other words, he was saying, what you did was wrong. And he begins from that concept that we use every day of our lives to begin arguing why if we're going to say something is right and something is wrong, there's a reason for that. There's some reason why we say that. And in, and, and in his journey, he had to come to the conclusion, it's because there's a law giver, and that's why there are moral laws in our world. Why is it that you and I say killing one another is wrong? After all, the animals do it every day. We even watch them do it. We don't go... We don't go arrest the robin for pulling a worm out of the ground and killing him, do we? Matter of fact, I went fishing with my grandkids this week and pulled that poor worm in half. And I thought, you know, am I a murderer because I took that earthworm and pulled him in half? No. But why is it that if if we take the life of a human being, it's not morally right? Who said? And where did that belief come from? And uh, in Lewis's case, and in ours too, we say, because somewhere back there, there is a lawgiver who has revealed himself, and when he revealed himself, he said a number of things. One of them is, thou shall not kill. That is murder. That is wrong. Lying is wrong. Stealing is wrong. Even coveting, what others have, is wrong. And taking somebody's seat in the bus when they were about to sit down would be wrong. (laughs) Maybe not as, you know, serious as murder, but still these things are wrong. So if the source of all of this in itself, and we say in himself, is right, true, infallible, then we want to know what God has said. We want to know everything God has said. And we want to learn it and we want to put it into practice. So in our day and age, of course, in our generation, I think when we say to somebody, you know, when we talk about doctrine, they think of it more as a bias, an attitude, kind of like, you know, well, churches, you know, they get together and then they dream up a bunch of rules and they have these rules and then they want to enforce them on everybody else, you know. So keep your doctrine to yourself, you know, we don't want, and, and they have very little concept that we actually believe that this Bible that we hold in our hands came from that source of all moral right and wrong. As a matter of fact, he didn't even tell us <laughs> you know, uh, a smidgen of all he knows and all that would be right and wrong, but he told us enough to live by. He told us enough uh, so that when we die, we know what to do about that. So the world doesn't understand that, I know. But, you know, also in in our day, we we are a, you remember this word, a postmodern generation, meaning we have actually said there is no absolute truth. There is no truth behind the truth. There's no moral giver behind the moral laws. It's all atheism. It's all just, you know, didn't exist. All right. If that's true, then why do you live the way you live? Matter of fact, I think in listening to our current political debates, it's interesting that what we're hearing is that, uh, you know, I, I heard someone say this last week for someone to be very rich and someone to be very poor is morally wrong. It's morally wrong. Hmm. So, so it means that morality is based on what? You know, why is it that every communistic country has been atheistic? Did you ever wonder that? <laughs> I don't know of any communist country or socialist country that, has, that is a, calls themselves a Christian country because they begin to base their laws on utilitarianism and and uh, relativism, and that that is things that they come up with to say, here's how we're going to run the country, here's how we're going to control people. And so if one person has more money than another person, that's immoral, and it has to be evened out. You and I wouldn't say it's immoral. Uh, what we would say is if you stole somebody's money, it's immoral. So we have to have something behind all of these beliefs that we have. So when, even when it comes down to our Bible, you know that we disagree, we can disagree over what the Bible teaches, right? But what we would agree with, even with another Christian, let's use denomination in the right sense, somebody that has a different denomination than we do might t- even teach a different way to heaven, might teach a different way to baptize, might teach a different way to... Uh, you know, run the church. We We can disagree, but you know what we agree with them about? That whatever this Bible says is the truth. Whatever it actually says, God has said it, and that's the truth. And so we understand we're fallible. We can make mistakes about that, but we also understand it is our responsibility to try to discover it and to live by it. And we also know this, that in this whole world that God has made, as I said, there's a lot more that God could tell us. We live by word and world, we're going to say this week in our meetings, but God has narrowed it down for us so that we can read it in a book. Of all the things God could tell us, of all the truths that we could know, God narrows these down inside these pages, and you know why? Because a Compared to all that God knows, this is very small. This is very little. He and to you and me, we can never find the bottom of this. I mean, you know, this is too much for us. We can live all of our lives and never get to the bottom of of God's what God has revealed. But you know, there's a verse in Deuteronomy: the secret things belong to God, but. The God, the things that God has revealed belong to us and to our children, and so we have to do this. Okay, now our generation may not like it, but we we have to do it. You know, um, if somebody comes up with a gender-sensitive Bible, which Zondervan has, uh, and uh, and and the Bible says in it. Uh, our Heavenly Father and Mother, you know they, they have we have in our Bible our Heavenly Father, but they have in theirs our Heavenly Father and Mother, and we say we disagree with that and we say well you 're biased and you you might even be prejudiced, uh, you might even be racist, who knows you know, or gender biased or something like that. oh really, is that what we 're doing when we say no, it should be our Heavenly Father. You know why? Because we realize God revealed something to us and it's our responsibility to discover what he has revealed. And so when we look at what he revealed, the rest of their sentence isn't in there. Our Heavenly Father is, but if you say our Heavenly Father and Mother, God never revealed that. They did. They added that to it. So we have a right to say we don't believe it should be that way we should believe it we believe it should be the way god has said it even though you know good people and i do too who sprinkle babies you know and we don't become bad neighbors with them or impolite with them but we say i don't see that in this bible and since i don't see it it's not part of our doctrine our doctrine is what we believe we see in this Bible, which is adult baptism. And so we practice that, they practice that, we disagree. But what we're saying is, we have to believe what this Bible says, okay? All right, now I want you to do this with me today. Three things, and we'll turn to some passages. So if you can turn with me, uh, I think it will profit you. If not, I'll I'll read these, of course, when I get there. Uh, So here are my three thoughts. Number one, the source of truth is God. Number one, the avenue of truth is revelation or the Bible, scripture. And number three, the expression then of that truth is our doctrine. Okay? So the source of truth is God. Let's look at John's gospel. John, first of all, chapter 7 and verse 28 Jesus is speaking in the temple. He says, Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, You both know me, and you know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom you know not. Now, he's speaking of God, right? He's speaking of God the Father. He makes a categorical, absolute statement here He that sent me is true uh god is truth and in him is no lie the bible will say even jesus will say i am the way the truth and the life equating himself with this father who is true so that is a statement that either is true or the bible is false you you either say god is true he is light and in him is no darkness at all or what jesus said is not true and what is written here is not true right Think of John 17, 3 in the same same light. This is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So God is the only true God. And by the way, Jesus Christ then comes from the Father. And what we understand from the scripture is there is an eternal trinity an eternal Son, and an eternal Spirit. So there has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And since that is true, and God is expressed in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and He is true and there can be no uh, uh, darkness in Him, if the Son comes to us and reveals Himself to us, guess what? There can be no sin or lie or untruth in Him either, can there? And so we're not surprised to learn in the Scripture that Jesus was without sin and that everything that Jesus said was true. And uh, he can describe himself as the way, the truth, and the life because he is God. And so the Scripture is always basing things on that. Now, if we go to—I'm staying with John, but going all the way to, to uh, 1 John 5.20— And then uh, a little bit to the book of Revelation. But in, in 1 John 5 and 20, we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true. Even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So little children, keep yourselves from idols. I mean, how more clear can it be that God is true That Jesus Christ is part, uh, you know, I I shouldn't say part of God. Jesus Christ is one of the triune persons of God. And if we know Jesus, we know truth. And we know truth as the Father is true. I mean, John is just expressing that probably because John writes late in the first century and there were a lot of so-called Gnostics around, the old Gnostics, the word means knowledge, believe that they had true knowledge but John is telling them it's not based in the father and not based in the son and not based in this word in his revelation either in revelation 6:10 when uh, god is pouring out his his judgments on the earth. They cried with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth. God is holy and true and he will avenge. Okay. So first of all, when we talk about the source of truth being God, everything that God is, is true. And the second thought about the source of truth is that, uh, anything contrary to this is false. Romans 3 and verse 4 Paul is is arguing for the the truth of our the fact of our sin and how God has said that and uh, somebody says in Romans 3:3 3, 3, what if somebody did not believe shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect and so in Romans, 3 and verse 4, Paul answers, God forbid, let God be true and every man a liar. So anyone who says something that is contradictory to what God has said, that is not true. You can't say, well, I disagree with God here, you know, as if God's not right here, I am. Paul says, God forbid that we'd even have such a thought Anytime we find ourselves in contradiction to what God has said, we have to say he's true and we're not. He calls it a liar here, whatever. All right, and then not only that, but God disdains what is untrue, what is against his nature. Um, You know, all the way back in in two prophets, one is Isaiah 59 and verse... 14 and 15 Isaiah 59 and then in Jeremiah also but in in Isaiah 59:14 judgment is turned away backwards justice standeth afar off for truth is fallen in the street and equity cannot enter yea truth faileth and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey the lord saw it and is displeased and it displeased him that there was no judgment. So when, when uh, we don't have the truth of God, it displeases God. He's not happy with that. You know, if you think about that, folks, and think of that in your Bible study and in your own study. You're, you're studying God's Word, and what are you looking for? You're looking for the mind of God. You're looking for what God has said. And if you just kind of take a doctrine lightly and say, well, I... I just think I'll, I'll think of it like this. You ought to stop and say to yourself, God is displeased if I am contrary with his word. He's displeased with that. So I can't just take this doctrine lightly. I have to take it seriously. Jeremiah 5 and uh, verses 3 and 4, very much the same way. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Therefore, I said, surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord nor the judgment of their God. Jeremiah 5, 3 and 4. All right, so I've tried to emphasize, first of all, that that the source of all truth, and that is of all doctrine, is God. It has to come from God, and if it's contrary to God, then uh, it's not going to be true. May I remind you again uh, something I know I've said before: uh, an old article by B. B. Warfield, which would have been written a hundred years ago, and he was a Presbyterian, and uh, uh, but but a uh, we would even call it back in those old days a fundamentalist. But he wrote an article which uh, I have, and you can read it if you want to, called revelation and mysticism. Revelation and mysticism. Everything he said, he said Christianity is revelation and everything else in the world is mysticism. Just think about it. God has given us revelation and we have it in his word. Or if you lived in the days of the prophets when they could give a prophecy that truly came from god or you lived in the days of the apostles when they could say thus saith the lord we live in the days of the word of god where everything that is in this book is revealed to us by god moses didn't make it up isaiah jeremiah didn't make it up john didn't make it up this is inspired and given to us by god everything else that is written did not come by revelation it came by human beings being smart or being well-studied or scientists or you know historians or whatever, but it didn't come by revelation. It came out of the human mind, and he calls it mysticism. Everything else is human. We might call it humanism in our day. Everything else comes from the mind of God. So if we're going to know doctrine and know truth and know it, it has to come from God is what we're saying. Now, We've said this already, but secondly, the avenue then of truth is revelation. The avenue that we get this truth from God is when he reveals it to us. When, two weeks ago when we studied the Bible, remember we started off with uh, first there's revelation, then there's inspiration. So God revealed himself in a lot of ways, but he only wrote it down in the Bible. Not every religious book is a revelation from God. Even if somebody wanted to say Muhammad was a smart man, although we know now he couldn't even read and write, but, but if Joseph Smith was a smart man uh, and anyone else who pretended to write a Bible, it doesn't mean that what he's writing down is from God. Do you understand? It, it comes out of his own head. But if we say this Bible is inspired, then we're saying this comes from God and not from man. Now, go with me to Romans uh, 1. And the first thought under the avenue of truth being revelation is that God makes himself known. Well, what if if there's a God and he stood off there in the sky and he said, Well, I know what the truth is, but I'm not going to tell you. I know what you would have to do in order to stand before me, but I'm not going to tell you that. There's a heaven and a hell. And if you die lost, you'll go to hell. But I'm not going to tell you how to escape hell and get to heaven. What kind of a God would that be? Especially if he says he loved the world. Well, then what did he do? He gave his only son. He revealed himself. So in Romans 1:17, you find those kinds of words. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And you even have verse 20 where even the creation of the world reveals something about God. He's shown himself in in the creation in a certain way also. But God has revealed them unto us. Uh, Remember 1 Corinthians also. And uh, uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 2 where Paul is uh, is going to finally say the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Remember when he said, I hath not seen nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him, but God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. Okay? So he makes himself known, and whatever God reveals is true, right? Write down Psalm one nineteen. That long psalm, of course, every verse in Psalm 119 uh, is about the Word of God. But Psalm 119 and verse 160. Where else can you go in the Bible and have a verse 160? Thy word is true from the beginning. Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Psalm 119, 160. So whatever God does reveal is true, every bit of it. By the way, every scientific fact that has found its way into the Bible, that's a funny way to say it, that God has placed in his Bible is going to be true. Not that he tells us everything about science, but whatever he does tell us is true. Whatever he does tell us about history is true. So when he gives a genealogy, and and you are reading those long chapters of genealogy, so-and-so begat so-and-so, and 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 he begat so-and-so, it sounds awfully boring. As a matter of fact, sometimes we wonder why we have to go through this at all. But just, just do it with this thought in mind. Every fact that God gives us is absolutely true. And you're reading history that is absolutely infallible and true. Whereas if a historian was researching, you know, the genealogy of Egypt or Assyria or something like that, which they've done, and they begin giving you genealogies, you still have to read it. You you can read it by saying, well, I wonder if that guy was really his father. Or I wonder if that guy really existed. You can say that of those. But when you read God's Word, every fact in it is from God and is true. And then, uh, way back in the back of your Bible, the first, or I mean, the second and third John, remember these little books? The third thing I'm thinking of the avenue of truth is that God commands us to treat it as sacred. God commands us to take this word as His word, as sacred. So in second John and third John, actually in the first few verses of both of these little books, you have these kinds of words second john the elder under the elect lady and her children whom i love in the truth and not i only but also all they that have known the truth for the truth's sake which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever grace be with you mercy and peace from god the father and from the lord jesus christ the son of the father in love or in truth and love it's third john very similar the elder under the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. <clears throat> so we're, we're to treat this book as truth, all right? Sorts of truth is God. The avenue of truth is revelation, and, and let me footnote that one more time. Revelation may have come in a broad way, but the Bible is what is written down, what, the part of that, that revelation that God wrote down. You remember I had said, whatever God said to Adam in the garden was revelation, every word of it, every bit of it. But we don't have it all written down. So we don't know everything God said to Adam in the garden. It was all revelation because God couldn't have lied to Adam. But he had Moses write down part of that. And we have that part in Genesis. And that part is absolutely infallible in the way it's written. That is what was said. Okay? So the avenue of truth is revelation or the Bible. Do you, do you understand how... Uh, how we are setting ourselves apart from our society these days how we're saying we know absolute truth we know things that are infallible in our society when they are are basically saying there is no absolute truth we cannot know these kinds of things anybody's idea is as good as somebody else's idea We're, we're, we're really at odds with that and more and more as time goes on. But the expression of, thirdly, and the third thought now, finally, the expression of truth is doctrine. How do we express it? How do we say, this is what we believe? The word doctrine, by the way, is the same word for teaching. And, and uh, it comes from the same Greek word. Uh, it appears 153 times in the New Testament. So whether you like it or not, doc, you know, the New Testament is full of doctrine. And the word teacher, which means the giver of doctrine, is, is 58 times in the New Testament. So there's a lot of emphasis on doctrine. Uh, one man, uh, David Dockery, Dockery, who happens to be the president of now Trinity Seminary, wrote a book on postmodernism. And he said this, Doctrine is the product of of the interpreting church offering up a faithful summary of its core beliefs, which are to be taught faithfully wherever and whenever that church bears witness to Christ and his lordship. In other words, uh, our doctrine, if, if you go to our website, and you, look, you, know, you go to Faith Baptist Church, and you look up uh, under our website our, our beliefs, you will get our doctrine, right? What we believe about the Bible, what we believe about God, what we believe about Jesus Christ, and so forth. Now, that's our expression of the truth. I've tried to emphasize to you that we are fallible as human beings, and we, can write up, we could write up a doctrinal statement that would have something in it that's not true. Obviously, because Christians of all sorts have been writing up doctrinal statements, and they, and they disagree with one another over certain points. We do agree that we have to find what the Bible says because whatever the Bible says is true. So our doctrinal expression, our doctrinal statement uh, is as good as we have been able to stay close to the Word of God. We have to try to express what we believe this book says. Now, is that wrong of us to do? Should we not just say, well, we have the Bible, we don't need a doctrinal expression. you think that? Yeah, it sounds good. Let me give you a historical example of when that happened in the 1920s in the what was called the Northern Baptist Convention that went out of business and, and became the American Baptist Convention. It went out of business because it fell to liberalism. Its doctrine just fell apart. But as the Northern Baptists, they were growing at the same time the Southern Baptists were growing. But there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, controversy over liberal doctrines in the North, a lot more than in the South. So they had their national meetings one year. And in these national meetings, there were, they were going to draw up a doctrinal statement so they could say, well, here's what we believe. You know, it was the liberals who denied the inspiration of Scripture, denied the, uh, the virgin birth of Christ and so forth, who said, we don't need a doctrinal statement, we have the Bible. Why do we need to draw up a doctrinal statement if we have the Bible? That's, that wasn't the fundamentalists who said that, There was the liberals who said that. And the fundamentalists were saying, because we need to say, this is what we believe about the Bible. And this is what we agree to about the Bible. They took a vote on it. Guess who won? The liberals won. They didn't draw up a doctrinal statement. A few years later, the Northern Baptist Convention went out of business because they went into liberalism and everybody left. We need to be able to express our doctrine. We need to be able to say this is what we think the Bible teaches. Now, three points under that. We'll read some scriptures and, and then we'll be done. First of all, God wants us to proclaim doctrine as truth. Look at Titus. If you're already back that way, you were close to it. Titus chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says to young Titus, Speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. Speak the things which are becoming of sound doctrine. In 2 Timothy, just to your left from there, and chapter four and verse two, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering, suffering and doctrine. If you go to First Timothy, right at the end of chapter four, he says, "Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee." So we are to proclaim doctrine. I'm supposed to stand up here in a pulpit and teach you teaching. I'm supposed to preach what we believe. I'm supposed to read this Bible and say, here's how you can have eternal life. Now, you know, we may have Roman Catholic friends that differ with us over that. But we have to say, here's how we believe you have eternal life. I have to preach that, and I have to insist on it with people that it is what they must believe if they're going to have eternal life, even though there are people out there who disagree with me and with us and with evangelical churches about that. We have to do that. All right, secondly, every part of God's revealed truth is important doctrine, you remember 1, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, since you're close to that, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. So, like I said, about the genealogies, you may not like reading them, but guess what? They are profitable. How would the genealogies be profitable? Well, if we find out that there are no mistakes in the genealogies anywhere, can't we, under the statement of our Bible, say, we believe that inspiration guarantees infallibility? Yeah. And how can we say inspiration guarantees infallibility? We say, look anywhere in the Bible. The scientific parts, the genealogical parts, the historical parts, whatever. Even the prophetic parts that, that we've been able to see come true. There's no mistake anywhere in them, so it's infallible. Okay, so uh, all scripture is important, and it's profitable for doctrine and also for reproof and correction and instruction in righteousness, that we may be perfect, thoroughly furnished in all good works. Lastly, being faithful to doctrine is to be faithful to God. Being faithful to doctrine is being faithful to God. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6 if thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words and of good do- words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. I have to do that in other words. Chapter 5 verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honour, especially they who labour in word and doctrine. And chapter 6, verse 1, all of these in 1 Timothy. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Okay? So, doctrine is important, folks, and don't let anybody tell you it isn't. You, all of us have doctrine of some kind. It just depends on where you got it, what your source is. And then uh, even if you had the right source as to how careful and how interested you've been in that doctrine. And we give each other room. We, our, our brethren that we may disagree with, uh, we understand. They're fallible and we're fallible. But you know what? It, it doesn't let us off the hook. We still have to study. We're going to, you're going to be held responsible, you, at the judgment seat of Christ, for what you believe. And so it behooves all of us, then, to be careful about that. One last illustration I've used before also. Uh, Here's a target with a little center point and concentric circles that go out. That, That dot in the middle is you. First of all, in this life, you have to live with yourself. You have to know you are saved. You have to know you have eternal life. You have to know you believe what God wants you to believe. And it would not be right of you to go against that conscience for the sake of some broader circle. You have to believe what you, have to, what you believe. Now, that doesn't mean you can't live with other people, and you can't live in a neighborhood and, and be polite uh, and so forth. Next to that circle is our family. It starts off with a husband and wife, and you... Uh, uh, learn about one another, and somehow, before you get married, you have talked about what you believe, and you have decided you can live the rest of your life together, (laughs) you know? And if you find someone who believes exactly as you believe, then marry that person, because there aren't too many of them in the world, probably. But even husbands and wives can disagree over some things, right? Right? But the circle is so small, it doesn't even have to go outside that circle. It can be dealt with with the two of them. And if they can do it with good humor and, and the rest, fine. Now, if one believes you get to heaven by good works and the other believes you get to heaven by the grace of God, then you've got an unbeliever and a believer, and that's not going to work. But you know what I mean there. And, and then beyond yourself and your family, and the next circle is your church. So you have a local church of a number of families, just like you have a family of a number of individuals. Now you have a circle of a number of families. And so when we were starting this church three years ago, we had to talk about our doctrine and we had to sit in the same room and talk about each of these and say, is this what we believe? And do we agree that this is what the scripture is teaching in these areas? And as we agreed upon that, that became our expressed doctrine. This is what we believe the Bible is teaching about this and about this and about this. And so when we signed our name to our charter, to the dotted line, we were all agreeing. We, we believe in these things. Now, by the way, a church, a church statement of faith is both broad and narrow. It, it has to be it has to say enough to say something. You can't just have a church doctrinal statement that says, uh, "We believe in God and the Bible, and that's all." Because what does that tell anybody? We believe in God and the Bible. You have to say what you believe about God. You know what you believe about the Bible. It has to be. It, it, it has to be. Uh, we, we have to say something. And yet, on the other hand, we can't say everything in the in our doctrinal statement, so the things that we have left out, you and I, even within this church, can disagree on and still be in this church. If we have not stated it in our doctrinal statement, uh, how many of you believe that the, uh, that the sons of God in Genesis 6 were angels? How many of you believe the sons of God in Genesis 6 were believer, believing people? Nobody's voting? Well, see, we have that disagreement, and yet we're all in the same church. Because our, doc, our doctrinal statement didn't take up that little detail in Scripture. Okay? You see what I mean? We, it can't be so specific, we, we couldn't even live with each other. But we have to say enough that basically says we're we are what history has always called a fundamental Baptist church, not a Bible-believing church. And an evangelical type church that preaches the gospel of grace and so forth. All right, so that's who we are and where we are, and uh, uh, we ought to be concerned with those things. But be gracious, speak the truth in love, and uh, try to convince others of our point of view. But do it always, understanding uh, that we need to do it with God's grace and and uh, uh, and mercy on us. All right, that's our doctrine. Hope that that is helpful to you. Let's pray and and we'll go on. Father, thank you for uh, reminding us of these things about our doctrine. We, We love your word. We know it's the revelation that came from your hand. And Father, we desire more than anything to know it more and to be more in agreement with you, more in tune with your spirit that lives within us, more like our Savior that saved us. So help us, Father, to love these things and to apply ourselves to them. But help us always to speak the truth in love and be gracious and, and reach out to those that we may even disagree with or may even hate our doctrine and give them the grace of God through uh, loving their souls. So help us to do that and help us to be your people and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you for being here today for our lesson.